Today we're continuing our series on margins that we started last week. Uh, Joe did a great job of, of kicking us off. And uh, for those of you that are new, my name is Justin. I'm the lead minister here at Real Life. And um, I'm excited to talk about this topic because it's a topic that um, even I am still in process trying to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus when it comes to margin in my life. We've been using this definition of what margin is. Margin can be defined as the space between our load and our limits. And I'm hearing all the time from people within our church, people outside of our church and our community, uh, continual things about a lack of margin. Um, I even look at my own life and I go, man, like, what do I need to do to create more margin? And uh, I know that this is true. And we're going to just be a little bit transparent this morning as we start. I hope you'd be willing to be transparent. How about in the last three months, would you just be willing to raise your hand? How many of you have felt stress just in the last three months? Some of you have like, three months? Talk about the last three hours, right? Like, right? How many of you feel stressed? How many of you wish you had more time for yourself or your family? How many of you feel financial tension or stress? Okay. Margin is something that all of us, I think, can look in our lives and go, man, I have to learn to grow in this. And we're looking at God's word in regards to what does it look like for us to structure our time, our hearts, our finances, our relationships for the glory of God and his kingdom. And Joe talked about Sabbath last week, the reality of what does it look like to have an arresting, abiding relationship with Jesus that is relational, where we choose to stop and then spend time with Jesus so that we can actually reorient our lives around him and his lordship and recognizing that we are actually in the process when we south well, what we're doing is we're, we're saying, I am dependent upon God and God alone. I'm not dependent upon my, my success. I'm not dependent upon my, what I produce, that I'm actually defined as a child of God. I'm gonna rest with him and that we're actually made to rest. Today we're talking about what happens when we choose not to rest, when we choose not to Sabbath well. The next step that usually ends up taking place is we live in a state of worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety. And I'm telling you here today, as your minister, as your pastor, as, your, as the guy that's leading this church, I'm not immune to this. I'm still figuring this out. It's difficult to live in a place where you are worry anxiety free and I don't know about you guys but when I'm in a place where I'm struggling with anxiety it almost feels a little bit like when you've had too much coffee are you with me this morning like that like flutter in your chest it's like man it feels like I've had four cups of coffee on an empty stomach for some of you it might be a heaviness in your chest and it's in these moments that it feels like if you take a big deeper breath, your whole chest is just going to cave in on, on yourself, right? And it's hard when we move into this place, when I move into this place, I call it the rabbit hole, where it's hard to actually get out of the rabbit hole because in my mind, what's being consumed is, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And it's hard in this moment when I find myself struggling with worry and anxiety to actually come out of the rabbit hole. It's hard to actually come and reorient my mind and my heart towards the things that God wants for me. 
I think all of you maybe have experienced maybe this in some capacity. And, and, and there's this passage that popped up, Proverbs chapter 30. That when you're in worry and anxiety, this is how I feel. This is maybe how you felt, is that I am weary, oh God. I am weary, oh God. I am weary and I'm worn out. I'm too stupid to be human and I lack common sense. I have not mastered human wisdom, nor do I know the Holy One. And some of you maybe experienced that or you feel that. You feel it physically, you feel it mentally, emotionally. And so some of you might even come this morning and you might go, yeah, I've been there, I've done that, I've, I've, I've wrestled with that. And you go, I go to God's word. And some of you have gone to God's word and you spend time in God's word. And after 10 minutes of spending time in God's word, you go, oh, I feel better. And then you leave and like two minutes later, it's all back again. And then it's hard because you're like, man, I know that God's supposed to give me peace, but I don't have any peace. I just got done reading the Bible, just got done praying and I still don't have any peace. What are, we, what are we supposed to do as God's people when we are gripped with worry and anxiety and we pray, we read his word, and it still doesn't seem to work? What are we, what are we supposed to do? And what does God's word say about that? My hope today is that you would be willing to take a deeper dive into the anxiety and worry that grips your heart, and you'd be willing to look at his word You'd be willing to maybe look and say, okay, what is this next step that Jesus is inviting me into? And, and what does it look like to maybe live a life where anxiety and worry doesn't grip my heart and everything that I do? Jesus talks about worry and anxiety in Matthew chapter 6. I'd love for you to turn there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. If you either got your phones or your Bible out. And Jesus is talking in this sermon um, about a lot of different topics but the main topic he's talking about here is worry and anxiety. And he says this, he says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And we all know the answer to that, it's no. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow, they don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that they are here today and then thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. His remedy, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. We're going to talk about a lot of steps today of how to experience peace. But the first one that we see from Jesus is that if we're going to experience peace, Jesus says the antidote to worry is actually seeking the kingdom of God, which is what we talked about last week. The Sabbath is this idea that I'm going to rest with God, believing that he is the one that can give me life, and I'm going to seek his kingdom in his ways. And, and Jesus jumps into this idea of worry and anxiety. He says the same thing. If you want to experience peace, Quit worrying and instead start seeking first the kingdom of God. The reality is this for us is we have to recognize that a worry-driven life is a weary life. It's, Psalm, it's Proverbs chapter 30 that we talked about. It leads to weariness, but a kingdom-driven life is a peace-filled life. And this thing, whatever this thing it is, whether it's food, whether it's clothing, whether it's circumstances, whether it's relationships, whether it's finances, whether it's time, whatever it is, 
what happens is this becomes the thing that we fixate on. This is the thing that we, we focus on and we, we begin to carry out all the different scenarios. And what I said earlier about the rabbit hole, we begin to spin down the rabbit hole. And really what that is, is you, if you really boil it down where we fixate on everything that we're worrying, having anxiousness about, at the core of it is spending time, your thoughts, your energy focused on that one thing. Do you know what that is? That's called worship. In our hearts and our minds, we're actually worshiping. We're actually saying, this thing that I'm worried and anxious about, it's gonna deserve all of my time and energy. And at the core of that is it's taking Jesus off of his throne and choosing not to seek the kingdom of God. It's choosing to seek all the what if, what if, what if, what if. What if. And what Jesus is saying is if we want to experience peace, we have to begin to say, nope, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God, which means putting Jesus right back up on his throne. It means saying, you know what? I'm going to make Jesus first. And it says that he'll take care of me. And so I need to start believing and trusting in that. So it starts with Jesus being on his throne. And some of you have come here today and you are in the process of making Jesus Lord of your life in the sense of for the very first time. Some of you are coming and you're, you're wrestling with, is Jesus somebody worth following? And I know that because I'm hearing conversations with you in the lobby or other people where people are going, I want to accept Jesus. I want to believe in him, but... And I want to tell you that I'm just going to reaffirm the message we say every single week here at Life Ministries, and that's this, is there's nothing that gives us life except for Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? Amen. And if you want to accept that life and you want to accept peace and begin the process of understanding peace, it means that you are choosing to surrender your life unto him, that you make him Lord of your life, that you believe, that you confess, that you repent, and that you get baptized into him. And this week, there was another text message that I got um, from Kaylee who messaged me and said, Justin, it's time for me to get baptized into Jesus. And so here in a couple weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna baptize Kaylee. Yeah, exactly. And this is the process for us as followers of Jesus that we choose to surrender to the gospel. And if you're here this morning, you say, well, I surrendered to the gospel 20 years ago. Keep surrendering to the gospel and keep listening to the gospel because just because you've been following Jesus for 20 years, we have to keep reminding ourselves of the gospel that Jesus is the one that brings peace. So we gotta orient our life around him and his lordship. The real reality for all of us is we got to ask ourselves is if we are surrendering ourselves to the gospel, what does the gospel look like in every aspect of our lives? And so Joe did a great job last week talking about auditing our calendar. If you're wrestling with worry and anxiety, have you audited your calendar? Another way to put it is, is the gospel evident in your calendar? Is the gospel evident in your checkbook? Is the gospel evident in your relationships in every aspect of your life? Are you saying Jesus is Lord over all of it? You know, I'm saying, yeah, I, I understand that. I want you to understand this. When your worry increases, your focus and relational intimacy decreases. I know this in my own life, that when I'm wrestling with worry and anxiety, the thing that I, I should do is reorient around Jesus, but oftentimes I just keep feeding the worry and anxiety. My relational intimacy with Jesus begins to decrease. My energy and focus goes on the things that I'm trying to control or trying to think through, and I'm not really having a whole lot of success. 
And Jesus invites us into this process of us seeking after him to actually be a person that orients, his life around, orients our life around him, his kingdom, our relationship with him. And what I love about the gospel and what I love about the Bible is in these moments where we feel like, man, I've done the praying, I've done the reading, I've done those things, I'm still struggling with worry and anxiety. There's always a next step that Jesus actually invites us into. And I think Paul in Philippians chapter four kind of gives us this next step of deeper intimacy with Jesus. What does that actually look like? Philippians chapter four, Paul talks about it in verse six about anxiousness and worry. He says this, don't worry about, what's he say? Don't worry about the same word, worry, anxiety, it's the same. He says, don't worry about anything. But then he gives us the roadmap of how to actually experience that. And he gets very tactical about the things that we can do as Christians to actually orient our life around Jesus and seeking his kingdom. He says, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent, worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you learned, heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Paul begins to map out some very practical steps for us to think about. And just to give you an idea of why this gives me peace is because even this morning as I got up and I got ready, I came here to the church and then I went into the bathroom to wash my hands and I realized I was gripped with worry and anxiety because I realized I was wearing green. I was like, oh man, why did I choose to wear this shirt on this day? But I didn't let worry and anxiety bother me. I just went to Philippians chapter four. <laughs> and as we talk about the steps to experience peace, Paul begins to map out some things in regards to how we can experience peace. Yes, we need to seek first the kingdom of God, but look what he says in verse six. He says, pray about everything. That word pray is the word proseke. It means to pray and it means to pray earnestly. And when I'm gripped with worry and anxiety, I can tell you right now, like praying about everything usually isn't the natural spirit-filled thing that I do. The flesh thing to do is just to ruminate, marinate, boil, season, cook, and all the things that I really can't control. But God says, no, I want you to come to me with everything. It reminds me of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray without, as anybody know, pray without ceasing that we're called to be a people that we just don't have our quiet time at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. or 6 p.m. 7 p.m. whatever your time is that we just don't go and go oh, I checked my box I'm good to go that we are actually called to be a people that all throughout the day we are having a conversation with Jesus Pray without ceasing. Pray earnestly, proseke, to pray about everything and if you are in a place where you have worry and anxiety I think it's worth praying about. Would you agree? And Jesus invites us to not go down the rabbit hole. He invites us to come to him with all the things that's gripping us and to come to him and say, what's going on? But to, to, to move out of that place 
it requires the spirit sometimes to yank us out of that that rabbit hole that we go down because I know this for certain even though we're called to pray in this moment um, it's hard to come out of that that rabbit hole I don't feel like praying you might be saying I understand you don't feel like praying but I love Charles Spurgeon one of my favorite pastor preachers he preached good sermons he also enjoyed cigars this is what he had to say if I feel disinclined to pray then is the time when I need to pray more than ever now you're saying, well, this is awkward. I'm in the middle of work. Yep. Yeah. Maybe it's time to say, Jesus is going to orient. I'm going to orient Jesus around everything in my life. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek him. Paul also says this, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I was actually spending time a couple weeks ago talking to another leader in our church about this idea of meditation. To fix your ideas, to fix your thoughts on what is true and what is right. This is the idea of coming to scripture and saying, okay, Lord, I, I don't know if you're worth trusting, but your word says that you're worth trusting. And so what would it look like for us as God's people that instead of just checking the box on our reading plan, that we'd go, man, I still need to hear from God's word and I need to meditate on his word and actually take his word, not from just my head, but to my heart. I'm actually going to meditate on God's word. That I'm actually going to memorize God's word. That in these moments that I begin to wrestle with worry and anxiety, that I would actually dive deeper into what he has to say for me. When was the last time you spent 30 minutes meditating on God's word? Storing it in your heart. Asking God, God, will you take away the worry and the anxiety that's driving me? Would you help me replace the lies that I'm believing or the things that I'm fixating and replace it with your word, your truth, your goodness, your grace that speaks over me. Paul goes on to say also to put into practice the wisdom that have gone before you, that last part. Put into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you, he says. And so for some of you, do you have a disciple maker in your life? Do you have a disciple maker in your life? Do you have someone that is speaking into your life that maybe is a little bit further down the road than where you're at? Do you have someone in your life that you say, I'm wrestling with worry and anxiety and I, and I need help with this and I'm trying to learn how to create margin in my life to where I'm not living at an unsustainable, unbiblical place? Who's the person in your life that can begin to speak into the things that God wants you to change and redirect in your life? What does this all mean? I think this is what this means is next steps to consider. Would you be willing to say no to many good things? To say yes to the best things? And you're saying, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I just know this. Is that if I'm going to spend 30 minutes meditating on God's word, that takes up time. Correct? takes time. But in order to do that, it means that I have to be willing to say yes to that, so I say no to something else. How does this play out? Well, it may mean I have to get up 30 minutes earlier than I normally do. You might be saying, well, okay, what does that mean? Well, if you're going to get up 30 minutes earlier than you normally do, or maybe an hour earlier than you normally do, 
That means you have to go to bed earlier in order to get your full night's rest, right? Which means binging the Netflix show may not be a yes for you. Are you with me? Just one more episode. Nope. I'm going to say no. I don't even know if the Netflix show is a good thing. But I'm going to say no to the good things so I can say yes to the best things. I'm going to create margin in my schedule to say yes to the things that God wants me to say yes to so that I can begin to reorient my life around him, his kingdom, Jesus' lordship in my life. Time with Jesus, waking up, reading, journaling, praying, meditating, and choosing to change what I'm thinking about my situation and submitting that to Jesus. It means intentional times of rest with Jesus. Yes, the Sabbath, but I would argue not just the Sabbath, but every day having a Sabbath with Jesus. Every day spending time with Jesus. One way that you can actually look at your life is ask yourself this question. How many of you guys live with an analog or digital calendar? Anybody? Okay. Here's been a challenging thing for me. How much white space do I have in my calendar? Do you know what that means? Does that make sense? I've got a color-coded calendar. I've got four calendars. Calendar of the family, calendar of the church, calendar of baseball, calendar when it comes to, what's the fourth one? Hunting. Probably hunting, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what my fourth one is, but it's color-coded. And then when I put those all on the check mark to fill up the calendar, I got to ask myself this question, how much white space do I got? It reveals how much margin I have. And where I'm at right now, I'll tell you, as I'm confessing this, I don't have enough white space on my calendar. And so I have to orient my life around Jesus and his lordship and asking the question, Lord, where do I need to create more margin so I can say yes to the best things and no to the good things? Here's what I know, is that when your relational intimacy with Jesus increases, your anxiety decreases. This is true because I've experienced it over and over and over again in my life. That when my relational intimacy with Jesus increases, my anxiety decreases. When we live life of margin and seeking the kingdom, we actually have peace. And this played out just two weeks ago. Woke up on a Friday. Friday is supposed to be um, half day work day for me. I try and take Saturday off. Woke up on Friday, got my kids off to school. Went home, got my cup of coffee because that's what I do every single Friday after I have kids off to school. I drank my cup of coffee, and uh, I say this jokingly and half serious, half jokingly, my coffee didn't work. You know what I'm talking about? Coffee didn't work. It didn't feel good. It was wore out. And I got to a place where I was like, man, I don't... I'm not used to this. What is this? I was tired. I was wore out. 
I actually went to bed, back to bed at 8.30. Never done that before. Fell asleep. You know what time I woke up? Not quite. 12.30. And I said, well, you're just tired. I got eight hours of sleep the night before. And in this moment, as I went and I opened up God's word and I worshiped, I spent time, about an hour and a half. I said, man, this is a dark day. Ever had a dark day before? What I began to realize a couple days later, that's called depression. I was like, I think I'm depressed. Talked to my wife about it. Talked to our staff about it. And on Monday, like I was, I was starting to come out of this, this uh, season or this mindset. I was wrestling through worry and anxiety, wrestling through depression, wrestling through that and realizing, man, that's, that's what that is. That's what that feels like. Never really experiencing that before. Um, Monday morning, I open up God's word and Proverbs 30, what I read to you this morning was the passage that hit me. And I realized, man, I'm weary. I'm tired. And what I realized is I had to go back and say, what does Philippians chapter four look like for my life? What does Philippians chapter four look like for my life? And I wish that I could tell you right now that like everything's resolved in regards to that. It's not. Like I said to start the sermon, I'm still in process. But here's what I do believe is that if I really do believe that God is the God of truth and he is the God of peace and he's the God of love and he wants to give me life and he wants to restore and redeem the things that I am still wrestling with, that I have to be committed to Philippians chapter four. And so what am I been doing? I have been spending more time meditating. I have been spending more time praying. I have been spending more time journaling and I'm inviting other people into my life to go, have you ever experienced this? And sure enough, met with some pastors on Thursday that are pastors of other churches and said, hey, have you, have you, have you ever been in this place? And they go, oh yeah, oh yeah. Which makes you feel good, just so you know. Makes you go, okay, I'm not crazy. And the reality that I'm not alone, that there's other people that worry, other, other pastors that have anxiety, other pastors that are wrestling, ministers with trusting Jesus in every aspect of their lives. And the reality of it is, as I look at God's word and as I spend time with him, I spend time with other people that are in the same place as I am, that are willing to say, yeah, I'm still in process. Life starts to get breaking through. God's word begins to break through. And the real reality of it is, is as one of my pastor friends says, he says, it's kind of like rolling your ankle. If you ignore it, it never goes well. So by his encouragement, he says, you need to keep doing what you're doing. You gotta keep rehabbing. What about you? What worry and anxiety do you need to address in your life? And what would it look like if you began to be honest about the worry and anxiety with your spouse? Start being honest with your home group, your men's group, your women's group. 
that if you surrounded yourself with other people, what would it look like to begin to experience peace as you walk through the valley like we sang? That we still chose to come to God's word, to meditate, to pray. And then in those moments, we go, man, it still doesn't seem like it's working that we'd still be committed to one another to seeking after Philippians 4. And then in the moments where God begins to break through his love and his grace, his light, when it breaks through, we would be a people that say, Jesus has brought me through. Jesus has brought me through. He's bringing peace. I think it's the reason why we can come here today on Sunday mornings and we can sing as loud as we do because we believe the truth that he is going to bring peace whether we're experiencing it in this moment or not. This is what I know is that when God brings peace, it always leads us to then a posture of worship because it's him that brings the peace. And that our whole lives would be built upon pointing people to him. That everything that we do, it'd be pointed towards him. So what does it look like for you to lean in, to margin in your life, white space, more importantly, peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with others. Some next steps for you to consider this morning as we get ready for communion is what does it look like to begin to live this out in your life? And as we get ready to serve communion, do we have anybody that's got communion this morning? Liz, Kim, thank you. If you came this morning and would like to take communion but didn't grab the elements, if you just wanna raise your hand, these amazing people would love to serve you. And as we get ready to come to the Lord's table to take communion, maybe you're new to church or not used to communion, what communion is, all it is is a meal with Jesus. A meal with Jesus that points us back to the gospel. That Jesus came and he died for you to give you life and life abundantly. And it's the laying down of his life that takes care of our sin, our brokenness our lack of faith. But then when we call on his name, he is quick to heal, quick to redeem, to love and encourage us, give us endurance to continue to trust the gospel. So as we get ready for communion, I just want you to bow your heads and think about some of these next steps for you to consider this morning. Let's pray.